Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. I've come here 34 not out, Ray Bright, tough old school, World Series day. He said, everyone get in. I want to raise a cap beer to Dino. His first knock today for Victoria, 34 not out. I has to say that you are the worst Victorian player I've ever seen play for Victoria. And I looked at you. You're kidding, aren't you? I said, no, nah, you are shocking. So I said, right. So I, I literally tapped Whoa. my I, – I literally took my pads off, mm. walked outside and walked home straight after the game. This is how you were treated back then. So this is the, the – I've – All that type of stuff was going on, man, you know? Today is a really special day for me on Lessons Learned with the Greats. On this episode, I have the absolute privilege of talking to and gaining incredible insights from one of the greats of Australian and world cricket. I grew up absolutely idolising this guy and tried to mimic the way he batted. He's running between the wickets and he's outfielding, especially his throwing technique. Now I get the absolute privilege to talk to and gain amazing insights from one of my heroes, Dean Jones. It's an honour to have you on my show. Thank you. What a lovely. I, I, did I write that intro for you properly and you've read it well? <laughs> <laughs> running it's between the wickets, huh? Speaking of that, yes. We're running between just where the we are right now, yeah. yeah. We're running between. That was in my dreams. <laughs> you've just been run out twice in the last two games, so it's, we're not going that well, are we? <laughs> that was in my dreams anyway. Gee. Okay, I'm just going to go through a couple of your stats, hmm. which are amazing reading. So Dino... Played 52 test matches, averaging 46.55 with 1100s, the top score of 216. He played 164 one-day internationals, scoring 6,068 runs, an average, an amazing average of 44.61. He played 245 first-class games, scoring 19,188 runs, an average of 51.85 with 55 first class hundreds and he also played 285 list day games which are one day domestic games uh, scoring 10,936 runs an average of 46.93 that's amazing reading I'm just going to share a couple of my career highlights of you Dino because I was hoping to bring my Fifer. I've got a Fifer with the ball. No, I was just going batting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. So a couple of my career highlights. One that I've heard so much about growing up in and around Australian cricket is, and I've seen the highlights and I've heard so many stories about your 210 against India. Mm. In your third test match as well, um, with the oppressive conditions that are in, in Madras, um, also with you being sick, the vomiting, diarrhea, to be able to – Stand the test of that and be able to score two hundred and ten is a phenomenal is a phenomenal achievement, and that is the true sign of an amazing test cricketer. So that's the one that the highlights as well. You're embarrassing me, but that's go on. true. Okay, the yeah. last the 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 second one is even though I was, I was seven or eight at this time, I remember <laughs> like it was yesterday watching yeah. 
your 200, your highest test score, 216 against the West Indies mm. at the Adelaide Oval. I remember it like it was yesterday. You're facing Malcolm Marshall, Kurtley Ambrose, Courtney Walsh, and you also had um, Patrick Patterson mm-hmm. and Carl Hooper. And just those top three, Malcolm Marshall, Kurtley Ambrose, and Courtney Walsh in particular, some of the best fast bowls that have ever played. And Pato was quicker. Was he quicker yeah, as well? Yeah, he was quicker than all of them by miles. Okay. By a long way quicker. Okay. So, <laughs> so mm. to be able to, I would have loved mm. to have faced even just mm. a couple of balls to be able to, of those guys, let alone be able to have your, you know, your high score and be able to bat so well against them. So that were just a couple of, like, of the highlights that really stand out for me. Was there with so, you know, so many incredible highlights throughout your career, is there one or two that really stands out for you? Easily. Um, nice to talk to you about this because I only talk about love winning. Mm-hmm. Get a hundred. Who gives a yeah. care about hundred? Mm-hmm. You made plenty. It's about winning World Cups. Yeah. Winning a World Cup in '87, I'll never forget. It was probably the greatest cricketing day of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was a build-up with the worst team leading up into the competition. We lost our last six games, international games, before the first game. But we had a game plan. First time we really stuck to a game plan. If we get the most singles. And we're the best fielding team. And if Steve Waugh and Simon O'Donnell shut them down by all of these change-up balls with the ba- out of the back of the hand, which everyone does now. Back then they didn't. Back then they didn't, yep. Um, we'll shut them down. Um, back then, World Cups were seven on the leg side. No leg side wides. So you could allow to bowl four bounces. So things were completely different. Is that so, right? Yeah. So when you actually look at guys' stats, no, no balls and you get a free hit. You know, we did play a couple of reverse sweeps and we did all that back then. Of course, Gadding played a reverse sweep and, and got out, but he already played probably 20 times in the World Cup. He played that work, played a bit. He gets remembered that for that shot, you know, and I will never take that away from, you know, we, we have a tease with Gat when every time we see him, but um, winning the World Cup was huge. I, I'm just trying to think of the, the – ever seen the movie The Natural? With Robert Redford and, yeah. and all that, end of the baseball, and with a guy, it's an old guy, comes out, 45 years of age, hits it for Homer, all the lights go out. Yeah. Uh, fireworks are going off. We were running around the ground. We were the first ones that ran around the ground to do a lap in Everton World Cup history in front of 120,000 at Kolkata. It was an amazing feeling. Wow. It was awesome. And they all wanted us to win. Poms were in trouble. Like the Indians wanted us to win. <laughs> and we're running around the ground with one, and I'm looking to Booney, and I said, are we in the movie The Natural? Because there are all these fireworks <laughs> that get cut off. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, carrying AB off the ground and we got in the room at Kolkata and I'll, she's like, I remember it was like yesterday. The hair on the back of my neck still stands up. And we're sitting down and there's silence. There's no drinks or no spilling or no nothing because there's no drink back then in 87. You weren't allowed to have drinks. So we all looked at each other, 14, the big massive rooms, and we had the chairs together and then – Swampy Marsh just said, what the bloody hell have we just done? We didn't know. Now, Packer didn't even show it. Channel 9 didn't even show it at home. Yeah, because I didn't. No. I, was, I was six they or seven put, then. Yeah, we did not on. see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were not seeing the footage of that in the game. Yeah. And then we – because we, we had a very good tour in India the year before, what we learned from uh, Madras and, and, and playing in India. And most of the guys came back again and said, right, we know what the conditions are like. We know how sweaty it is. You have to crease management, looking after yourself. You know what it's like. You've done it so many times playing over in the heat. You mm-hmm. do it really well. Crease management is at the heat, the oppressive heat. Batting with, with the sweat just dripping out of your socks. You feel like your shoes are going to come <laughs> off at times. You know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. So you've got to learn to do all that. And for us to win against, you know, everyone thought it was going to be an India-Pakistan um, final. 
And, of course, we've won everywhere and we had to go to Pakistan and beat them in Lahore, which we did. And I'll never forget when we came off the ground in Lahore, before we even got to Kolkata, we mm. won it. We got the World Cup finally. We thought, gee, we've had that's amazing effort, just that. And we're a bit worried about the crowd in Karachi. Yeah. Oh, sorry, in Lahore. So our manager, um, Alan Crompton, said, can you pack your bags quickly? <laughs> and we had them packed within two seconds. Mm. And we still had a kit on. And he said, we've got a private plane, chartered plane. We're going straight from Lahore to Kolkata. We literally go on there. I've got a photo at home with Steve Waugh, myself, Booney, and AB. We've still got our spikes on. And we're in the plane. <laughs> We got because we we're worried about there were problems, of but course, safe but, the, but yeah, they are. But they were, looking back in hindsight, they were more upset that their team won, not mm. having to go at yeah. us, you know. So, but and then we win the World Cup. That was huge. And the next big one for me was uh, winning the uh, the Ashes in '89 and being to ring Dad on the balcony of Old Trafford to ring my old man up because he wasn't there. Now, you guys have been lucky enough at your age to have your wives and your dads and parents to be there. Well, we weren't. We we couldn't afford it. You know, if my wife came over, which she did very late in 89 tour, I had to pay for Booney or Heels or whoever to get out of the room. I had to pay for his room. Yeah, okay. Times are changing. That, that big it's time. crazy, yeah. Yeah, so ringing um, so up Dad, and the great thing we won, and AB invited all the friends and parents and friends to come into the dressing room, which, you, as you know, is taboo normally, mm. and he opened the gates. And by geez, did he open the gates. <laughs> and I've never seen so much beer get flown around in my life. God, uh, uh, Merv was just cut loose big time and Booney. So it was great. And then speak my old man on the on the thing because how old was I then? 28. And I'm probably getting close to my peak and my best mm. in my career. And it takes 20 years sometimes to get a player or an elite player to be, you know, Overnight success, but it took 20 years in the making. Yep. So to thank him to get me where I because he was my mentor and he was captain coach at Carlton when I was a kid and that's where I got into cricket. So it was great to hear him and his voice. And he always wasn't a huggy, kissy dad, but it was an emotional time for him to to watch us on TV and to see what we did. And it was a, an amazing time. Um, and my first tour to England, and, and it wasn't just a tour. Everyone in the 17 players did something. No one missed out. Moods. Let's talk about Tom Moody, for example. Didn't play in any of the test matches, but he got 100 in all the games he missed out on. He didn't play in yep. the test matches and the county games he made 100, and he won the Haggis World Record Throwing Competition. <laughs> it's in the Guinness Book of Records. Stuff like that. Stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, it, all the guys, um, Tim Zura, um, Makes a huge bet, makes on a huge bet on the wins the golf. Um, Mark, Mark Kalkovecchio won the uh, British Open, big Norman and um, and so forth. Anyway, he made over a thousand bucks, a thousand pound, puts it on the on the <laughs> on the bar for all the boys to have a drink with. Mm. Uh, you know, and he and then he we went to straight after that to Holland, and he took five wickets in a game that we shouldn't have won, and he bowled his leg. He's very good leg break bowler, believe it or not, on mats yeah. to beat Holland. <laughs> And then we had to go after Holland to Denmark. Now, you're asking me right now, why are you going to Holland and Denmark? Well, we thought, well, that's a trip that's the tour, but they gave two votes for Australia to have the World Cup in Australia in 1992. We didn't think about that back then. But it was a great trip, and um, that's the first time we won the Ashes in 50 years or something in England. Um, To beat England in England, as you know, is the ultimate. I remember listening to that on the radio as well, in the, mm. as well as watching the first session every every night with my dad. Yeah, and then sitting by by the radio and listening to as long as I could until 
It's cool, you know. And I remember, like, well, like you so doing cool. that, I remember that with um, Ian Chappell's team in 72 when I was a kid, you know, and you go to bed listening to on your wireless <laughs> and all that yeah. stuff. Tramp Bridge, wonder what that looks like. Yeah, and all that dreaming of yeah, it. It's Absolutely. really cool. Yeah, the it's good cool. old days, how good. I love those stories. I could, we could talk about those mm. for, for hours. Um, but I'm just going to go on to the skills, from a skills aspect and skills lessons learnt. From a batting point of view, was there one specific technical component that you worked really hard on and you knew that once you locked that in every time, you were going to be giving yourself the best chance of being at your best? Was there mm. one or two, was it like a pre-movement or something that, that made you, you knew you did it and you were locked in? Yeah, I, I always like to bat early in the nets um, for a reason. When you put your spikes in, I, I like to look at my footwork because when I – it's pretty hard to describe it on uh, on the podcast, but I would put my right foot across to the off stump and almost a forward press with my mm-hmm. right foot mm-hmm. first, going mm-hmm. almost going towards cover, mm-hmm. and my left foot will go down the middle of the pitch. That's when I'm batting well. When I'm batting, was that your pre-movement? Pre-med, yeah, pre-med movement. Yep. When I batted badly, my right foot went up and down in the one spot. My left foot went slightly across the mid-off, and that what causes that it gives. But you know, as you know, bat, 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 bat planes, and you yep. have to play around your front foot. Yeah, balances out of it and all that type of stuff. So I knew that. I asked the old man, my my dad about my dad. My old man said, "Why are you coming out being between naught and ten? Your helter skelter. Everything's going a thousand million mile an hour." We've got to have a bit more consistency in what you're doing. So we basically sat down and whiteboarded it, and he said, well, I had too much sugar before I went out and played. And it, and it was a big thing for me, actually. Right, what do you eat? Oh, in the morning I have a cup of tea with sugar in it, and I'll have some honey on toast, and, and then I'll go to the ground and we'll have some PK chewing gum, and, and then we'll have some cordial, and you know what the stuff, and there's a bit of something here. You have a biscuit and getting ready to go. all full of sugar, and you're out there. You're anxious. Everything's buzzing. Then I had too much sugar, yep. and I took sugar completely out of my game, and that made a massive significant difference. difference straight away. Massive difference. And once I got when to- did you realize that? What period of your career did you realize that? Was it early? 80, early doors? No, eighty. I was. I probably coming back from the Indian tour of my first series against England. So, I've, so I've been going for that. So, and I. So, what age was that? Twenty six, twenty seven, twenty six. Yeah. So. And it's okay. I think you've got to be pumped, as you know, when you're playing one-day career. You've got to take them on, and that's the way I did. We'll maybe talk about that a little bit later on. But I needed to, and, and then my old man said, right, what's your plans? If wasn't Macron's bowling to you, how are you going to play him? Okay, so um, Kirtley Ambrose bowling to you, how are you going to play him? Malcolm Marshall, what are you going to do? Um, Abdul Qadir's bowling to you, what do you do? And all that. So have a plan. What are you going to do? And if you're going to take them on, where can you hurt them? So and that's basically how I went about it. The other thing as well, my old man taught me, he said, you've got to put your – when you mark your – look at your office, your pitch, and when you get to the ground, get behind the stumps and see on length where off stump is. And if you can't see an area where off stump is, I would make a – walk down the pitch, I would make a little mark yeah. with my spike. And when I – it's a bit like the markers you have in tin pin bowling, and, and I'm looking up and down my lanes – so let's see, I'm right eye dominant. My right eye is my off stump, and that's helped me enormously for my balance. And I was a bit like you as well because I fell over a little bit and my front pad got smashed a bit. So mm. I had to try and get my weight back and get my head towards the ball, and I found mm. having these little markers the same. Now, when I played against spin, I also made markers. So I so right. you got the five-foot marker, and I had three feet past that, and I put little marks on the side of the pitch, and I knew this that was This was before the game? 
No, when I went out there. Oh, when you went out there, okay. But sometimes I did when I even when I was fielding. Okay. So in between an over and the end of the yeah. over, I'll go park and put a little mark on the side yeah. of the pitch. Okay. Now, and then I sort of know, let's, just imagine a line across the, a, a, a blue cotton line across the pitch. Mm. If a spinner bowls up in that zone, I'm going to get him, hit him on the half volley or on the full. And if he bowls short of that quick length, I'm going to play him off the back foot. And that's basically, I do not want to be in a situation where I've got forward on a forward defence and bring the bat pads into play. I'm going to get past them or I'm going to play them off the back foot. And that's basically how I did it. Did and you work that out yourself? Was that your dad? Much, pretty much me. That's amazing. Mm. Oh, no, the, the, the running between, we, uh, sorry, the, the, the Lindsay Hassett had a little bit to do with that when I was a kid, before I went to India. Okay. So the story goes with him. He said the, old, the, the great players reads length better than anyone else in the world. Now, the hardest ones to read length, as you all know, is great spinners can upset your length. Quicks, we sort of see it. You know, you know we we're, we're fine. Yeah. But the spinners, it's it got a bit of rough patch, but if you can see it bounce three inches before the rough patch and you get on the back foot, you play, it was great. I remember a great knock by Damian Martin at Gaul. He made 100 there on a thing that was spinning four feet, and, mm. and his judgment of length was just amazing. So he said, Heavy little markers a little bit. Now, if he tosses up, get to it on the half volley or full. Mm-hmm. If not, play it off the back foot. Now get me a scotch. So <laughs> I said, it's not that easy. He said, it is. And he's right. There's too much rubbish about coaching, about spin and all that type of stuff. Get to it on the half volley yep, or play it off the back, back foot. The first mistake, mate, is watching for length. All the great players today, let's talk about the great players. But Sachin we've seen, with Brian Lara's we've seen, all, of course, Ricky, and, and, and um, today you've got um, Barbara Zahm, you've got Joe Root, you've got um, Coley, of course, and whatnot, and Smithy. They're all great players of, of length. That's pick what up they, their length they so, pick up early so early and so quickly. Yeah. Yep. And that's the, that's the big thing, the difference between the greats and the average. But to be able to have those things that you put in place, like you know those markets on the pitch, hmm. like I've I've never heard of that, and that is mm. so simple to understand. There, what you're saying, that is so. So, is, and, and, and there's a guy called Brad Jones. He was brilliant in Oscar and um, and two liter racing for Audis and all that. He's brilliant. He looks after one of the Holden teams now, and mm. and he and I he took me around laps around Calder once and up at um at, uh, in New South Wales. And there's these markers and corners. I said, "What are these?" He said, "Oh, they're uh, breaking markers." Well, I don't see that on TV. I mm. said, "Yeah, we know that if you're going really well." You can go late past it because the brakes are good. Mm. If you're not tra- the car's not, tra- you have to go a bit earlier. So and I'm thinking, why don't you have don't you have braking markers when you run between the wickets? And I've gone no. So I'm about twenty three, twenty four. Then he said, well, make your own braking markers. And I worked out from the five foot marker from the crease that that's when I put my foot down and get into the crease and get out from the from the danger area markers on the left hand side. So and I go quickly in, quickly out. Now you get a little guy. Just talk about a little guy. A boonie. The boonie. Yep. His, his foot will go inside the marker because mm. you don't want to be stretched and hard to get out. Yeah. And that's how we learned running between the wheels. I, I learned that way. So that was – so you just – as you We're, went out to bat, you'd just mar- you'd make a marker of the five. Well, but five I knew foot. it already there because the five-foot markers are already, already there, there. Already there. Okay, so you just that was your breaking point. Yeah. And the best running between the wheels at the moment is – oh, I've still – well, no one can beat him still as MS Stoney. Yeah. And he, stay, he runs on the pitch, runs straight lines – Uncomplicated, it's very good. So, and so guys still make it difficult. So that was through being in a racing car, mm. where that's from a running, a running the running between the wickets. That's but, where you yeah. realise that's exactly what we need to put in place. So what we were twenty three, twenty four. Mm. 
And, and then watching that, and Jarvan, that's what that, and, and then that's watching Jarvan, Jarvan how you wait the ball, you stop trying yeah. to stop the ball in the inner circle. You know, yeah, we've yeah, spoken about that two, and all yeah. that for twos and all that. But running in straight lines is in particularly. But I had a a bad knee reconstruction uh, running into Merv, so I couldn't change running into Merv. I ran into Merv in 1987, and I and had a knee reconstruction badly. So and I missed two tours, and I had to pay for my all my medical. Yeah, back then it was it was a horrific time. And if I didn't insure myself two months before with Lloyd's of London, I would be bankrupt. I would have lost my house and everything. Oh, I had no money coming in. And my contract back then, I was ranked in the Australian team. Well, well I just got 500 runs in the Test Series against England, but my contract wouldn't have been any more than $7,000 or something. How do you live? And it was 18% tax back then. Sorry, percent for a, for a home loan. Yeah, interest rates. There's no way known all it lasted. So this is a thing that, and this is a beauty of this podcast, for example, and mm. is educating people, and especially the the current cricketers are as well around how things work mm. and how fortunate from an injury payment point of view, from the support, from the contracting system as well, is never take it for granted, yep. because a lot of the time there can be lost in translation over the years and over the generations that it was not always like this. No. Big time so, it wasn't. You know, my first mm. contract for Australia is $1,000. You know, I got paid for my first test match was $400. In 87, we won the World Cup. We only got $900 each. So, and as a past cricketer, I love the fact that the the kids today earn earning big bucks. I really do. But back then, where'd the money go? I, I honestly say, where'd the money go? Absolutely, exactly. Where'd the money go? Yep. And the they're coffers, crying poor sometimes. The cricketers, <laughs> cricketers are crying poor. I'm going, well, hang on. You've had the 80s and 90s and you, you make big bucks. We're a pretty good team. Compounding interest for them for over a period where'd, of about fifty or sixty years. Where'd the money go? <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. anyway, so yeah. that's what happened back then. But it, 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 the point, maybe, what you're trying to get at is, I, I open my eyes through travel, which is brilliant. Mm. You pick up so many great things on not just in your industry, from other industries to actually make you a better player and a better person, big time. But a lot of people don't have their eyes open like that to be able to go. Yeah. You know, if that's like it is with a racing car, if that's the breaking point, then mm. it's exactly for me to be an amazing runner between wickets. And you were like the pioneer of how to run between wickets. Yeah, and I didn't train like you guys train of today. Look, I, I do a lot of short, sharp fielding, and I would do three hours of fielding with Bob Simpson, but it'll be quick running. You know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll do a bit test with my pads on and kit mm. on, and I pride myself on my numbers and all that type of stuff. But that's yeah. cricket specific. Yeah. And yeah. that's a thing that I never, I cannot get my head around. I still don't. Why any fitness that we do, mm. any fitness that cricketers do, is not just specifically skill based. Mm. What you said there is absolutely right. We're not AFL players. Like now, we started in Australia, in Australian cricket, there's a 2K time trial as a fitness test. Mm. That's come from AFL. Mm. We're not AFL athletes. And now, because Australian cricket have done it, now, a lot of the other countries around the world have got that as a fitness test. I'm like, that is ridiculous. Why isn't it super cricket specific, whether it's a fitness? Like I've always heard about like Bob Simpson's high catches. Mm. What an amazing way for, to develop and grow your fitness and your skills at the same time under pressure. Well, I had the gym. You know, you guys liked the gym and, and that's well, I had no. Well, not like it. It's just what it was. That's what was- Part of your lifestyle when you part go. Part of being educated mm. as well. If you want to be- if you want to bowl, for me, if you want to be a fast bowler and bowl as fast as you can, well, you need to get big and strong. Mm. Well, how come like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like I didn't, I didn't realise, I didn't put it into context, but why isn't Arnold Schwarzenegger, why isn't he able to bowl 180 k's an hour? 
That's right. Well, because it's a coordination, it's a power, what's inside of you anyway, what your natural genetics are, as well as refining your technique. Mm. So I wish I had that insight when I was younger, <laughs> not thinking, oh, well, my way of being able to be the best fast bowler I can be is just getting in the gym as a starting point. Oh, anyway, I hate the learn. gym. Like, I still hate the gym. But if yeah. you told me and gave me a footy, let's go and have a kick of the footy, I'm out there with you every day of the week. I must have been the dog in my past life because I just love a ball. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. like the soccer ball when we do warm-ups. So Neither do I. I, I, yep. I, I That's I another that. topic. <laughs> I, I ban that from all my teams, I coach. Oh. But, um, but, uh, but, but in cricket, I, I said, right, there you go. I'll, I'll, I'll go and do some catches. Mm. And I actually love – I actually love – and I'm pretty, still pretty good I can get the ball into a bucket from 60 metres now. Mm. I'm 58. Mm. So with, with good technique. So And watching the guys take catches, I actually love – fielding just as much as I love batting. And I think that's been the big difference of changed in the subcontinent where they've never liked that before, but they are now. now. I think they're actually enjoying it and understanding how important it is to their game because if you can't field, you're done. Yeah, so from the fitness aspect, that was it was very, very cricket-specific for you across the board, Top. whether it's running between wickets, whether it's that fitness, whether it was the fielding fitness. Mm. The, yep. I, I, wow, that's I, common I, sense. I hated Boone. <laughs> I hated Booney, David Boone and Mark Taylor, for example, where they batted deep and they I ran their twos and they didn't run mine. <laughs> and I'm, 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 yeah. I may be pooping them a bit, but yeah. you need to be fit mm. in this level. Mm. Like it's not hard to get off your backside, stop having the cokes, stop having a couple of beers to get yourself fit to win a World Cup. Mm. You know, so. They got the batting skills and all that, but that you know, it, but that's, it really upset me in my yeah. team because I'm trying to go hard, hard, hard now. Mm. Now I'm in the power game. Last ten overs, I'm buzz, 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 mm. um, and now it's gone to an amazing level. Like particularly with Warner, his fitness skills is yeah. ridiculous. Mm. Like and still has the Always power through. to hit big. Mm. And as you know, after a while, in 2020 matches, you're batting 15 overs, and you're still swinging. You are fatigued with trying mm. to swing hard, yeah. and he's still got it, and he's still pushing guys for two. Mm. And that's the level we've got to get to. Mm. And you know what? I hate mediocrity. That's not mediocrity, what he's doing. Mm. I tell you. <laughs> and it's just great to watch. And, and if he has to embarrass a few, well, so be it. Mm. Because that's the level we expect as fans mm. to watch, to take in the skills to another level, which was what we're doing. That's where we just need to get it to a point where the fitness, the priority is your skills, your skill development. Mm. Of course. That is your priority. Because if you got you haven't got great skills, guess what? You're not going to be a great you're cricketer, not be great right? Cricketer anyway, yeah. But if your fitness levels start affecting your performance, like and other people's performance around you, mm. like what you're saying there with the running between wickets and you running their twos, but not them running yours, then that's when fitness has to be looked at from an individual's perspective. But at the moment, it comes down to well, right now and has been evolving in Australian cricket anyway. Is okay. The priority number one priority is your fitness. You need to make sure your skin folds are here. You can run this amount in the 2K time trial, and then we'll work on your skills. Yes. Mm. The balance has gone it's way right. out of kilter. It has it's to be right. the priority is skill mm. development, of course, mm. and then making sure that your fitness is where it needs to be so you get the best out of yourself and the people around you, and it's not affected. Oh, well, as I'm being coached with Islamabad and now with Karachi in the Pakistan Super League, I always do – you wouldn't like me being in with your team now. I actually get them to do the skin folds and everything now. Now, that's for a reason to I want to see what they are now and what they see at the, at the end. But I also realise if we've got one, a couple of kids who are carrying a little bit of weight, and I know I can't play four games in a row because mm. I know they're going to be fatigued. So I've got to be careful on how I manage those players. Mm. And 
and also an understanding if they're going to play for their country, they're going to get some involved. They're yeah, going to have exactly. all that That's top standards. Stuff. Yeah. But just because a guy's big doesn't mean that he can't rip a team apart. For mm. example, the, the guy called Umar Akmal is just amazing cricketer. Mm. He's not getting picked for his country. It's just dumb because he hasn't passed a fitness test. Mm. There's ways and means of getting guys. You don't. You don't want to go run a marathon, batting it, open the batting. If you, mm-hmm. I want a guy who can hit sixes and fours, thank you very much, in the T20. We'll worry about the fitness a little bit after that, but you need the skills first. Moving to a mental mental skills mm-hmm. aspect, were you always built, were you built a certain way for a mental skills application with with your cricket or did you have to work or did you work on mm-hmm. one or two things where once you got that right, you knew, you knew how to access all the skills that you'd worked so hard to develop? Well, you probably – might know that I was a bit of a prickly player when playing against. So, and I'd come up through an era through as a kid. I played district cricket at the age of 14 for Carlton, um, which I should never have done. I haven't gone through puberty. My first game, I faced district club cricketers, Alan Hurst, has just come off a test match. So I'm using a harrow sized bat. Like, just stupid stuff. In a deep like end, it's great. Oh, great. Sink or swim. Oh, yeah. And I say, so, but the fact is that um, Keith Stackball was my ex um, vice captain of Australia. He was my batting coach, uh, technical skills coach, if you want it, and my captain. Mm. And my dad was my mental mentor, if you want to call mm. it that. But Carlton were tough. District cricket was tough. Mm. They'd rip you a new one. Dad, like, Keith Stackpole would have guys like, you won't know these guys, Ian Callum played for Victoria in Australia. I had um, guys like Rod Lawrence, um, John Douglas, and he was, it was dark, dark um, platypus balls. I'm not wearing a helmet. <laughs> we're talking mid-70s now. Mm. And then – they're asking to Jesus Christ me in the back of the net on substandard pitches. Mm. And everything was funny if I get the young kid gets hurt. Now, it's not the right way of being brought up. Mm. Now, you come into an Australian team like Rob Marsh and these guys have really made it difficult for you. Mm. It was an awful time. Um, and then you knock back a $200,000 contract to go to the Rebel Tour because mm. I wanted to play cricket for my country <laughs> um, and then get knocked back for guys who actually said yes to go away and all those types of things. But – and I had an era where I was brought up when I first came for Victoria. I was playing against um, – the captain was Ray Bright. I'm playing against WA. I got 34 not out. I'll never forget it. Come off the ground. I sat down. I looked up the old the old rooms. And I looked up, and there was my name in blue letters, as you know, for Victoria. I got 34 not out, and I got all the all the big Western Australian players. And I came for Victoria. I just got 34 not out. Leave it. And we've gone through a bit of a change before we got there because in this match – they dropped all the big-name players, Max Walkers, and all these guys are gone. So there's a bit of a problem within the senior, some of the senior players mm. that these young kids have taken over. So the young kids and myself, Murphy, Simon O'Donnell have come in. Not bad three players. Yep. And, um, <laughs> but we're kids. And, and I've come here 34 not out. Ray Bright, tough old school, World Series day. He said, everyone get in. I want to raise a cap beer to Dino, his first knock today for Victoria, 34 not out. I has to say that you are the worst Victorian player I've ever seen play for Victoria. And I looked at you, you're what? kidding, aren't you? I said, no, nah, you are shocking. So I said, right. So I, I literally took my, I, I literally took my pads off, mm. walked outside and walked home straight after the game. This is how you were treated back then. So this is the, the I've, the all that type of stuff was going yeah. on, man, you know. My first game for Australia in Adelaide. I put, you know, when you walk in, you bit in your first conference. Do I put my? Do, where do mm-hmm. I sit? Because who's over there? Who's there? I put my bag. Yeah, no, you put your bag there. Of course, Rob Marsh is supposed to go there. And my next Stitch minute, up. I hear my coffin being thrown into the mm. toilets. And I was, I my first game for Australia. I was, I was in the toilets for uh, in a one day game. 
That's that's what was that was that back then, you know. So so that's going to that toughen you up from like a life around cricket. But yeah. when it comes to like your batting to execute your batting skills, yeah. So the would batting you say- skills made me tough because look, yeah. I went through hard district cricket, and I, all right, I didn't face the speed. Mm. I got cleaned up, bashed up by the West Indies in 1983-84. I needed to work on my defensive game. So I went back in the nets and I got a bowling machine for the first time. Really, first time. And I and I, I had thousands and thousands of balls at 150 clicks and then I got used to it. And as you know, the first time you face it, you think, oh, I've got no chance at all mm. to face 150 <laughs> high 40s. Yeah, you have to do something with it instead of just defending it. If I would love to get a person to stand at the umpire's end mm. and feel Mitchell Johnson run past me at 150 clicks and see how fast that ball, or a Brett Lee, these mm. guys running in, steaming in, or a Mitchell Stark, for example, you mm. people have no idea how difficult it is. Mm. You, you might look a little bit better on TV, but when you're at the ground, it's the pace and the ferocity mm. is bloody scary, and I had to get that out of my game. And I improved, and of course, my first game back was actually playing on turning tracks, which I've come from bouncy ones. And when I got back to the uh, for the Indian tour, which I got two ten, but I've gone through physical and mental change around it, and I had mm. to get tougher and and better. But I had to improve my defensive skills. Okay. So I interviewed to follow up from that ten years ago. I interviewed um, Jack Nicholas mm-hmm. on TV for NDTV and asked him why are you better than most. I said that question probably a thousand times. He said, because uh, my defensive skills were better than most. And everyone remembers Jack Nicholas of his swashbuckling play and all that. They said, okay, 70% of his game is inside from 100 yards in. And I know most tournaments will be a guy lost because he couldn't get up and down over a bunker or he's missed a six-foot putt. Now, who's the best batsman in, in the world? Straight at me because he knows Australia. He's won five Australian Opens, Jack Nicholas. I said, well, Sachin Tendulkar. And uh, if you don't say Sachin in India, because you were in India, Jack, you're not going to leave alive. So I said, okay, so how many pitches does it take him to make 100 in test cricket? I'll call them balls. And I'd just done a thesis on him on, on, on him for my level three coaching. I said, um, on average for his test 100, every 100 he's made, made 50 of them, it takes him 180 balls. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are the three most played shots? I'm asking you right now. What are these three most played shots? In that 180 balls. Oh, it'd have to be front foot and back foot defence. Two, correct. Yeah. I think it's Sachin. Oh, either a back foot drive or one off his pads. Leave the ball alone. Oh, right, okay. And, and if we add all those three up together, front foot, back foot, leave the ball alone, how many balls out of the 180 is the aggregate? It's 130. Mm. That's 70%. Mm. Jack Nicholas theory. Mm. So I started to look at, okay, so he might have some really quality stuff here. Mm. So- if you want to play first-class cricket or play cricket for Australia or play football or whatever, mm. if your defensive skills aren't good enough, forget about your offensive mm. skills. You need offensive skills. You need it. You had it with the bat and you had it with the ball. You need to have an X factor about your game to play for Australia. Mm. You do. But you need to have a defensive game better than anything. And if you can get the forward defensive play, that's the most played shot by Miles. If you can get your forward defence and one other shot out of the three going, if you've got all three going, you'll average 50 or more in test cricket, mm. I'll tell you. If you've got one not going good, you might average around 40. If you only got one other going, get a job because mm. you're done. Mm. And I look at guys' defensive skills when they're struggling. We've all been through it, haven't we? We're, we're getting in on the pad, we're missing balls, whatever. We, it happens. So it all goes comes back to the defensive game. Mm. And the same goes with 
bowling, with pigeon bowling or, say, you know, McGrath or Warney, when they're not bowling well, they're not hitting their lines and lengths under pressure. Same as in T20 cricket. The World Cup's coming up. It'll be decided on guys not being able to bowl Yorkers or yeah, change up balls. That'll be defensive it. skills. It's going to be shut down. Yep. You can, guys, because you guys are so good, you'll hit it for six. So it it's, comes down to your defensive structures. And so I've always mattered, looked at my defensive skills. Okay. So for a mental skills aspect, you're like, I need to make sure that my defensive skills, my technical skills, mm. and also understanding that around my mindset as well. If I've got that down, I'm sweet. Yep. And if I defend it, I try to keep the ball on the pitch. Mm. I get upset if I got a back foot defensive and the ball mm. got a bit big on me and the ball ran to point. Square. Yep. If I kept it on the pitch and the bowler's picking the ball up, I'm defending well. Mm. And the last thing, I don't think people are, are their best friend when they play. I think a lot of people are negative. Oh, God. Why didn't I hit that? Why didn't I? It's, a, it's a tough game. Mm-hmm. I'm here, full house. Mm-hmm. All right, I didn't hit it right. I needed to hit it straight out. All right, I'll get it across. Come on, I'll get the next one. Mm. Whereas guys get still worried about the last ball and not thinking of the next one. But the mental skills are huge. And I think if you if you train as hard as you can and play, even get out. We went against the West Indies in 88, and we asked our fast bowlers like Merv and, and um, uh, Jeff Lawson and Carl Racken to bowl off 19 yards to actually try to simulate what these mm. boys were bowling to us in the nets. Now, with all respect, they didn't need much encouragement yeah. other than that, but we wanted them to oh, – I had to feel the heat. If I can't face these guys, how the hell am I going to face these guys in the nets? Mm. So, And I wanted Murph to bowl me bounces in the nets all the time. After coming back from an India tour, because you tend to be pressing forward all the time, I need to be pushed back on the back. So it's all about being ahead of the game and who's the next bowlers, who's the next guys who are trying to ruin you. And lastly, my point, I took an AFL football-style mentality when I played. And some guys like to be relaxed and play and just hit the ball and see it. Mm. Not me. Uh, this bowler, Ambrose or Akram or whoever, mm. he's coming and he's trying to ruin my life. Mm-hmm. Not today. Not today. He's not ruining my life. Now, he might, but I'm taking him on. Mm. I want to hurt him because I like to try to get on top early mm. and then throw a punch. And that's the way I've always played. Always. Yep. From a young age. Yep. Yep. Growing up, that's just how you're built. That's how- Four brothers, got to get a kick somehow. Yeah. Got to hurt. If I can get one in the solar plexus of my brother, you beauty, yep. pick up, pick the ball up, kick one around the corner, you beauty. Yep. And that's why I've been brought up. It's, 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 but no, it's that's, different people now. My, no, my daughters I now, I can't do that stuff or even mm. talk to a player and be hardcore because they have no idea what we went through. The, these yeah, you're and you're a little. You come through a tough area as well. Tugger and all these Steve War and these guys it was a tough time. It made it hard for young guys coming through. But but now the guys had looked after a hell of a lot better, which I think is good. Mm. But the guy, yeah, you know, this generation are different. What we played back then, you know, Lily and these guys. We thought, geez, it was on for young and old mm. and sledging and and all that type of stuff. It was horrific what was being said. When you talk about that battle and that fight, like it's it's me or it's me or you. Mm. That for me, like from my mental skills perspective, that was when I was at my absolute best. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't have that every single time, which I actually need to bring every single time because that was the best version of me when I was at my So at you my bring peak. the anger or bring the madness? That's you right. So it. you gotta find it. You gotta find it somewhere, mm. whether it's a battle against like the bowler who's coming in or a battle at someone who's in the field. It doesn't need to be verbal, but even if it's just an internal battle to go, you know what? Mm. It's me or them today. Mm. And that was how you've, you were always built, whereas for me, that sort of kept, went in and out at times around the opposition who was sort of having a go at me, and that's what brought the best out of me instead of realising that that is what I needed to bring every single time. 
and, and that's an But you're playing so much cricket now, it, it's pretty hard to bring it all the time. It is. You know? Yeah, but that's where you've got to try and – you've got to find it. If you want to be at your best, you've got to manufacture it. And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be – again, it doesn't have to be verbal because that can be just internal. You're going, it's me or you. I'm taking you on. Mm. I'm, and an, and it, whether it's a bowler, whether it's the opposition, you're like, you know what? I'm going, I'm going down my way. Yeah. So, and and that's, I had the problem with really- Hadley. I had the problem with Curtley a little bit and all that, and Hadley knocked me over a lot. And I had to find a way. Mm. I had to find a way. And I Hadley knocked me over. I was nicking off everything at LBWs, and he's just had me, Bob, beautiful line of length. Mm. And Dad sat there. We sat there for five hours over a beer. <laughs> Why is he ripping you apart? Mm. What does he do better than most? Daddy bowls line and length better than anything. And so he's trying to get me to get the answer. He mm. knew the answer. Mm. Took a few beers, but mm. he said, I've got the answer. He said he bowls line and length better than anyone else in the world. Bowled nearly close to 140 at times, Richard. Mm. But he couldn't do anything else. Mm. So I batted a metre out of my crease. Yep, to break it up because that was his, and I, his natural ball was there. And I yep. had to make some ownership in the decision for me. Yep. To actually make that decision to – dad didn't want me to – dad says, well, you need to do this. He, he said, well, I'm going to stand here and wait for you to actually make that decision. Mm. What are you going to do? He bowls along. So what are you going to do? So I said, I don't know. I said, work it out. And then I said, oh, I'm going to bat a metre out. Said, right. Finally, we're getting there. Yeah. Right. And then he didn't get me at all. I took him on and smacked him and hurt him all over the place. In one day, as I didn't play much test cricket, but I found the answer to play against him. So what I look at players now when I'm trying to assess talent and mm. being a broadcaster and a coach, mm. how do I find their weakness and how do we counteract that yeah. to play against them? And that's what we've got to do. And it works most times. There is weakness in everyone, but you just got to find it. And then you've got to execute. Mm. But you've got to believe in this in, in your game plan, how you're going to play it. Because mm. if you don't, when yeah. under pressure – Game's going to fall away. I absolutely love what you said about that mentality because. But you, a lot of guys don't want to play well like that, though. That's no, just that's right. You and but, I, no, but, you know? uh, but you've got to find out no, what you've got to find you more. On. Absolutely. Like mm. you see someone like AB de Villiers or Hashim Amla, mm. they just get in their bubble. Mm. They oh, just okay. don't want anything to penetrate Barbara's their bubble. A, Barbara's arms or, Exactly. Same. They just want to just get in their bubble and everything bounces off. Whereas for Fred me. Collie. He wants to take you on. Of course. He wants, to get, he wants to get in the battle. So everyone's definitely differently yeah. different, but you've got to understand what gets the best out of you mm. and then bring it, like you bring it every single time. If you want to be successful, you've got to bring your best mindset, not just your, not just your technical aspect. So, so, yeah, that's right. And then you bring it and you've got the beans going, you're playing really well, and then you've got to have the ability, and a lot of guys didn't have it, mm. is to be able to drop back from six gear when yeah. you're flat out back to third and the game's under control. Yeah. And you've got the game under control. Yep. I think Glenn Maxwell's one player that can't do that. He mm. struggles with that, mm. but he can win you a game because mm. he can get get you that momentum back. Mm. God love this thing called momentum. <laughs> you've got to go and earn her, mm. this thing. You have to take risks and, and, and do anything together. And now mm. you've got her. He doesn't know how to pull back and play mm. safe because mm. he always wants to go hard the ball. So there's always constant changes in your game, but yeah. everyone's a little bit different. AB mm. was the same. Alan Border, me one, and Booney. Like it's like Booney got hit in the chin, Jamaica by Curtly. He used to wear his grill quite close to his face, mm-hmm. and he got a ball off a length, hit him flush. Didn't throw, it, didn't go down, didn't grab his face, and he just <laughs> and he did that. It was like, and he's got Clara coming all the way down the chin, and I've just got in. I said, that's just not good. Come to see, got to get in the chin. He's twenty odd knot, and uh, the umpire. So I think we need to uh, have drinks at this stage and get that checked out. So out comes the doctor. 
and he takes the helmet and he said, right, uh, you need to get stitched. And he's got needs nine or ten stitches mm. in the chin. And Bernie says, no, nah, put him in here. I said, I haven't got any anaesthetic. I've got this. They said, well, just put him in. No oh. anaesthetic. <laughs> True story. And then and he's looking at Kirtley, and Kirtley couldn't look at him when the doctor's gone, yeah. pulling the, the stitches in. Yeah. Made 100. Well, tough as nails. Tough as nails. And players today wouldn't do that. They'll be doing a concussion test. Yeah. <laughs> What's your name? How many beers did you have last night, yeah. Bertie? Only six. <laughs> Jeez, that so, is awesome. So that's a, the things Tough. are different. Yeah. Yeah. Things are different. Yeah. But again, it's finding what works for you. So, yeah. And I think that's your environment, the way you've come up as a kid, mm. um, the people around you, how you've been looked after as a parent, mm. um, all that type of stuff. And, and everyone's different from different backgrounds. Mm. You know, guys come from a privileged background. Guys who had to fight their backside off to get where they are. Everyone's different. You got to find the. You got to find your formula. Media. So media was when you're when you're playing was obviously around a lot. Was from what you know now through your playing days, would you have approached how you um, dealt with the media differently? Especially now being a broadcaster and being in the media since you stopped playing, I think I was pretty good with the media when I played. Okay, I think I used the media pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, in what way? I always were quite friendly. There was good times back then when I played. We had great writers and journalists. So I had with um, like um, Mike Coward and, mm-hmm. and Alan Shield, and I'm, I'm going to miss a few here, but so Alan, Alan Shield, um, Rod Nicholson, and these guys when I played Mike Horan and, and and so forth. That was just Great, great time. So they don't seem to have the relationships with the players back then. They would keep little nuggets to themselves about us. They said, "Look, this is what's happening. Don't bring it up. I'll let you know when to put it in." And but now everyone's looking for exclusive, and mm. it's all a bit different yeah. now. So, so it was a little bit different back then. Um, obviously, we didn't have social media and all that type of stuff when I was playing. But I, I think I was pretty good back then with with that. Um, was there any ever a time in your career where there was some like media scrutiny around you that affected your performance oh, yeah, at all? It, it, probably when I got sacked as a player, I finished my career at thirty test mm. cricket, mm. and I didn't really have that many people to advise me to be around because I'm always on the road. Mm. Um, I got knifed, rightly or wrongly, uh, and I, and I look back at it now from the time I got knifed to the time I retired from test cricket, and so that's eight years. From first class cricket, mm. um, I think Australia only lost two series, maybe three. So they okay. made the right decisions, mm. you know. Back then, you know. So, but you know, it's hard to accept. It was hard to accept. But you. if you said to me after two tests, after getting punched up by the West Indians, oh, I think I was done. God, I was gone. I was a piece of mm. jelly. I was done. And you said, Dino, you're going to play 160 odd tests and win World Cups and Ashes series and all that top stuff and make two 500s and two series against the Ashes. Mm. Well, I'd be thinking you're on drugs or something because I don't think it'll happen. Mm. So, but once you've got it, you don't like to take it away. Mm. Yeah, I remember interviewing Ian Healy at the end of his career, and I asked him any regrets, and he said, "As you know, and you know, it's like your career is like a plane ride. It is. It's like a plane ride. Mm. And you, you get on the plane, you're right, and all you want to be is on the plane. Get on the plane, I'm in. I've got a chance." Mm. And he said, "The only thing I've." I forgot to do when I was on the plane was to look out the window. I think it was a good line because you don't realise where you are. And as you know, you, particularly you, why don't come in the end of your career now? Um, 
got a few more years in you probably, but the fact is uh, you wish you wanted to start it again and, and do a little bit, maybe things a little bit different. But, you know, it's a different game now, different way of playing and, and all that. But use the media. Channel 9 did pretty well. They used me as the pin-up boy there for a little while. So after at that time when you got dropped when you were 30 from Test yeah, Cricket? Yeah, so, yeah, so we got, I, I was in the West Indies and, uh, sorry, South Africa and, you know, and they picked me to go over there and, and then they knifed me for the one-day team. You know, we've got three all. We're playing the last game. Everything's on the line. And Mark mm. Taylor and David Boone, who are selectors, oh. to have picked themselves before me. I said, you're trying to tell me you're a better player than me? One day cricket. Really? Mm. Well, that's it. I'm I'm done. So I retired straight away. That was it. And he said, no, you've got, you got to go to Sharjah to play all these one-day <laughs> shoes. So I'm going home. So I went home. That was it. No, thank you. No, nothing. That was it. So it was I just wish I had a few more people around me, my dad and all. We couldn't mm. afford to take them anywhere, yeah, though, you know. Yeah. Like, at least day and age you have good people around yeah. you and make better decisions and, mm. you know, and all that type of stuff. And and when I had did have a game at the MCG it was put on for me, um, Cricket Victoria wouldn't help or Australia or anything like that being, being, help me at all. I had to pay full commercial rates to hire the ground and all that type of stuff back then, yeah. So it was, it was a nice way after we'd given them so much, not getting paid. Yeah. And given so much to mm-hmm. the guys, and and then and not really helping you in the end. You know, I got I've been hurt twice. I left my knee, mm-hmm. and I got out for a year almost, and had to get fight my way back, uh, pay for everything. Thank God I had insurance. And then second one was after I got knifed, and I was playing pretty well. It's one that I was ranked number two in the world in one day cricket, and I got dropped. I got really. And then you go back to domestic cricket and dominate as well. For yeah, the I every seventy time. in my last seven yeah. years. So yeah. it's. Anyway, but but the fact was that what I was getting fun out of mm. at the end of my career was mm. my wife Jane says, right, you're not captain of Victoria anymore. This mm. year, last year, she said, what were some of the times when you had fun? Don't just play this year for the sake of it, mm. right? Because because I was trying to work out my contracts for media and Fox mm. and um, ABC back then and the Age and everything, City Morning Herald and whatnot. So, what are some of the shots that you would love to play when you were a kid and you don't play now? So, I, I don't hook and cut now. I, I don't hook and pull now. I said, mm. well. I did play a couple of times the reverse sweep. I like to hit the fast bowls over there a couple of times. <laughs> well, don't do it. Mm. Go and do it like that. Mm. That's what I did last year. I had the best time of my life. Just teed off. <laughs> you know Imagine what? you would have done in T20 cricket. Oh, just <laughs> teed off. I remember Mark Harrity <laughs> took the second new ball on the yeah. first day at Adelaide and I got out the second last ball, caught deep, 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 deep bit off. <laughs> on the second nice. caught, And I got roasted by my coach, John Scholes. Oh, yeah. and I got 150. What's he upset about? He said, well, you should be here for tomorrow. He said, come on, it's a flat track. Let's declare him. I've had a great time. Like, oh, <laughs> so they're still looking for me to play like a test player. But anyway. In regards to just wealth, like wealth generation, moving away from cricket now because all that stuff is, all that information is just insights of gold dust. But moving on to just wealth generation, that sort of thing, because it's not something that as cricketers in general that, um, well, we ha- we're not really that well educated on gro- growing mm. up. I certainly wasn't. Are there lessons that you've learned from an investment side of things that, if you had your time again, hmm. you would have done things differently in some way, whether that's with property, whether that's with um, investment uh, like shares or managed funds or something like that? The best thing, at the end of my career, this game in Adelaide still comes to my hmm. mind because Warney was playing, he was captain. Hmm. And at, just after tea, I asked the 12th man to bring out a piece of paper and a pen. 
because I was starting to say, well, if I didn't get this contract with Fox and I didn't get this with ABC, what am I going to do? Mm. So I was starting to think, well, and anyway, brings out a piece of paper and I'm writing down job opportunities. Warney's <laughs> going, what the hell are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm just writing down. So I think he's got a couple of weaknesses and I'll give it to you later on. And I was just writing down, what do I want to do? That mm. mid off. I've, yeah. got a, I've got a pencil in my mouth yeah, playing shield match. <laughs> Can you love believe it. this? I love it. So, so I said, and I looked around the game, I looked around the cricket, and there's these. Uh, they got um, food and beverages going in. I got mm. a couple of TVs watching us playing the shield match, and they and they got the and they got the security. And I thought event management might be good. Mm. I wouldn't mind getting into event management. I think I could put on a show, put on a bit of a gig. So Graham Helbish was um, left Cricket Australia, the Australian Cricket Board CEO, mm. and I contacted him and I said, I wouldn't mind getting into an event management company. Mm. What about what do you think? Join me. He said, why not? So we've got another guy called George Christopoulos who was the only FIFA football agent together. So we, we got together. And we got another guy as well. And we, we sat down and worked out to put an event together. So we bid for the rights to open up the Sydney Olympic Stadium in 1999. And, and I got, oh, right. And then would you believe – That's not starting small. <laughs> no, we, have, we haven't even run a chook raffle, honestly. Yeah. But, but, but Graham's just done the World Cup yeah, okay. and all that so type of stuff. That, yeah. Stop us yeah. So our tender was, part of the tender was we had to put on a worldwide international event and have an international act and run it like an AFL grand final mm-hmm. entertainment. Mm-hmm. They wanted to put the Sydney Olympic Stadium in, it was June 11, 1999, on notice and put the ground under pressure before the Olympics mm-hmm. started. Comes down to public transport. Comes down to how the F and B was run, how the foot traffic was coming, and the ticketing and all that. They wanted if there was any mistakes that was going to happen, it was going to happen with yeah. ours, so they get it ready for the Olympics. Mm. Smart. Yep. So we bid, and we won it. And stop it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we thought we looked at each other. So oh, we weren't going to get it. We, 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 sorry, what was the focal? We're in. Right, so somehow we actually said we've got to get the FIFA World Eleven football team to play against the Socceroos. Okay. And we needed to get an international act. So I'm starting to think, right. Who, right, who, so, one, who do I, what act do I want to come out? Right, right, <laughs> who, who can we get? And yeah. we got these budgets, right. So, okay, so let's go. To the, we, we, we wanted a World Eleven FIFA who, by the way, when we got George as part of that thing, he mm. got, did the presentation, Switzerland. And sure enough, for the second time in 100 years, they decided to pick a team, a World Eleven team for us to play. <laughs> Beckham and all these guys come out. So, And then, of course, uh, Harry Viduka, Kuehl, mm. um, uh, all these guys played. Um, mm. Bosnich, was, mm. it was terrific. So we got that settled. We did a deal with Soccer Australia, FIFA, everything's good. <laughs> now the act. So here we go. So I rang up Elton John, as you do. Mm. So, Elton, what are you doing on around June 11? <laughs> he said, uh, um, I'm in Japan playing. Oh, God, I've got this gig. So we're speaking on the face. Ring Mick. Mick who? He said, He said, you, you're kidding us. I don't have his number. Well, lucky enough, to, I know Elton for a long time from the 86 yeah. tour. I said, come on. And the wonderful people you and I meet mm. when we're in a baggy green cap. That's incredibly it's fortunate. The network, you'll be surprised the network, someone knows someone who goes. And I've always, always had diaries and wrote guys' name, mm. numbers and that down. So- I rang up Mick Jagger's people and, and Mick Jagger comes, oh, no, we're playing in America or something. And anyway, I sat down and I didn't know what to do. And I ran into the Ferris brothers in excess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sadly, three months before, Mike, Michael had died. And okay. we got him in a pub in um, 
in Sydney, and they were upset still. And we to get them together, and they had no idea. Alcohol solves every problem in the world at times, <laughs> and they had a few drinks. And and I said, you can do two things. The, the manager I went to school with back in, in Melbourne. Right. So I said, we can say goodbye mm. and move on, mm. and this will be a great send-off. We'll be in Sydney, this young town. Here mm. we go. This will be brilliant. And get someone to play up front, mm. or you can have the new millennium. This is in excess 2.0 or mm. whatever like that. So we all know ACDC had a new mm. singer and all that. So we're on the phone. We're ringing up people. Um, Susie DiMaggio, they were thinking of playing. Um, and then we end up Trent, Terence Trent Darby. So I uh, literally, cool. <laughs> I literally <laughs> went from the pub in Sydney to the airport, which is movie stuff. He said, when's mm. the next flight to LA? He said, oh, three hours. There's the credit card. Get me on it. So flew across and we signed him up. And we we got him to play seven uh, seven days to get the the gear together yeah. and and get the you get understand the music the, and all that type of stuff and Terence was great, but he was had a problem he was sat down he wasn't quite getting into it okay and the boys were getting upset they're trying to get maybe a few drinks and bonding session didn't really work compared to Michael Hutchins who's an amazing frontman well, yeah, he mm. was yeah charisma and mm. all that dance moves and all that and then on the day they all said to me we got to pull out. Oh. Uh, you can't do that. You sign a contract oh, yeah. and all that. And so anyway, then all of a sudden Terence pulled out with this white suit that's from Milan. He got specially made <laughs> and he got in excess written across the back of it and he went out and cut the five best songs and danced oh, the move wow. like you wouldn't believe. Wouldn't believe that all the guys are coming in, they were buzzing. Yeah. And the uh, the uh, you know the band's wives in there are crying. They said it was like the old stuff and it was they're on a high, you know, mm. and then – I could feel it, you know, the lost Michael and what do we do now? And they're still probably now have been a bit lost since then. Mm-hmm. So um, so we put that gig on. It's quite weird, I have to say quickly, that when you put together the budget for it, what going to a, the bank, National Bank, I'll mention to them, um, asking for a $5 million loan, <laughs> putting your house on the line. That's what you Everything did. That, you did. Like everyone? Who, everyone all did. the shareholders? Yep. To, okay, yep. to get the budget. To get the money. The yeah, yeah, collateral. And we turned over, 100,000 turned up, and we turned over $15 million on the night. Whoa. Yeah. And then from then on, I said, I'm never doing that again. Oh, why? It was just unbelievably difficult and hard. Okay. Um, IMG turned it, turned it down. SEL turned it down. Okay. But we did it. Oh, they come to us first, but even though we didn't know that IMG and SEL already mm. turned it down. So that might be the reason why we did it uh, and said yes to it, but it was terribly risky. Okay. Um, and I was getting to age where now I don't want to invest and risk stuff, et cetera. And risk your house. So, yeah, yeah, and put it all in. So that's basically what I did. Okay. And um, and try to hold on to my money a little bit that time. And um, and the best thing I've actually done and the best money I've made, uh, my daughter, uh, she wanted to ride a horse. And where I live in Romsey, we bought a property across the road because you need to have a horse. Yeah. The four acres, you know, I, I remember I bought it for 50,000 bucks. And then- What year was that? Oh, good question. 99, um, 98, okay. there probably. Yeah. And um, now it'd be probably worth over two and a half million now. Wow. So that's probably the- Thanks buying, to your daughter. Yeah, thanks yeah, to property. the daughter. But horses yeah. do yeah. actually pay. <laughs> and, 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 and we're not quite as risky as others now. And my missus handles, handles my own share uh, portfolio. She okay. does all that type of stuff. Okay. She's a criminologist anyway from a trade. So, right. okay. 
So, and I just I go out, make the money, and then and and I've just never wanted to be in a situation where I just stuck to one particular job. I think I've been quite smart. So I've got my media star contracts, um, uh, Macquarie um, Sports Radio. Mm-hmm. I, I write for the the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, etc., which is Channel Nine own now. Uh, I coach, uh, do appearances, write books, done everything. So if something falls off, mm. I'm not in trouble now. So yep. I've been quite good or smart, I yep. think, in the way that that's been handled. But it's good for me at the age of 58. One of the oldest commentators is still going around in the co- in, in subcontinent probably now. You and Sonny. Yeah, and we're still getting getting work now. And I'm on the boards for the GT20 and European T20, so I'm getting mm-hmm. asked to do all things. And And for me... The other point straight after what happened, um, the start of um, a, a company is called Leftfield Solutions. We end up nearly getting this is how risky business is, mm. and networking is so important. Mm. So we're flying, we're pretty high after <laughs> after having a wonderful tournament. Mm. And who comes to us? Manchester United, two thousand. He said we want to come out and play three games. They just won the triple crown. Very expensive. Alex Ferguson, Beckham, all the boys. Mm. So sure enough, they wanted three million dollars. An appearance, plus you have to pay for all the everything else, airfares and all everything. Yeah. Right? And we did the the um, uh, the pricing. It looked okay. I still had something in my gut that something was wrong. So we met the heavies of, of Man United. We sat them sat them down, and they were at the Crown Casino in Melbourne, having a, a research and development. They liked us, what we did, what we did with FIFA, mm. all that type of stuff. So, oh. Yeah, okay, I've got a problem with it. I, something's in my core. Anyway, I said to them, we're about to sign and agree to it. They're going to play twice at the MCG one sitting. I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, can we do this tomorrow? Because I've got a, an appointment, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I, I, I had to go and see Elton John because he's staying at, at the Crown Casino. So I went up and saw him. I said, what are you doing? Because he was the boss of Watford. See, see the people oh, yeah, you okay. meet along the way, mm. he said, well, you, man, you know, they're going to cost you a fortune. How much? Oh, three million each. US. Mm. So here we go. Righto. I said, uh, when are they playing? Oh, they're playing on this date. What date? I said, oh, no, no, July 10 or something it was, something like that. I can't remember exactly. Mm. And he said, sorry, what's that date? I, said, I told him again. I said, I've got a confidentiality agreement here. I'm going into the next room. You need to look on my desk. So I walked across the desk and there was the invitation for him to play at Beckham's wedding, which happened to be the same day. Oh. And they and and I've gone. Oh, so half the team has got to be with Beckham, at oh. least. So I'm. They want us to put in over ten million dollars mm. for this event, and they don't care. And they always, you know. And then you're worried about advertising these guys' yeah. names, and they don't turn up. And I, so I went back to. Them, I said, "Is um that date right?" I said, yeah. I said you got nothing on. No, and I knew they were lying. Mm. So I said I went up to um sold it to uh, Rene Rifkin. Who was also trying to bid for it? I gave mm. it to him for two hundred thousand dollars, and he ended up taking the heat, and because they never turned up, half the team never turned up. And I and, and you know what? I would have lost my house again and everything. Mm. Trust your gut. So then I, we wound down left field solutions, and I've done little things like that. And I, okay. And I, we, you know, we we would I come up with the idea of the twenty five year celebration of um, uh, state of origin football. We did all these major relays, um, done major walks for. Uh, Bo Maradona Institute, and we raised $6.5 million walking yeah. from Mel- Sydney to Melbourne and um, and for helping Booney out and AB out. Yeah. So it's 
it's been a, and through the event management that we've learned yeah. all that all all the time. So we've we've done pretty well over the time. But event management is a lot of fun. But I tell you what, it all well, comes down to your networking risk. Yeah. risk. Yeah. yeah, if you don't get it right and work through it, you're in a lot of trouble. All the challenges that life does throw at you. That's the reality of of mm. life. That it's always going to be when you're going well. There's going to be things that the setbacks that that arise. Is there one saying or a mantra that you've had in your life that makes you be able to navigate your way through those setbacks better than than you would? Yeah, I think because I've played cricket and and we play in a win and loss, and as you know, we probably we've been lucky enough to play in an era where we win probably sixty five percent of the time. Mm. The other teams get belted up. Um, that you know that we play a game where if you make a mistake, everybody's got an opinion on you. Um, and it, and yeah. after a while, it wears on you, but you get a height of an armadillo after a while, and you you don't get a glass jaw after a while. If something goes wrong, don't panic. We'll mm-hmm. find a way, and, and that's what what we've done. I I there's a lot of lessons learned, but the, I think the big biggest thing, one of the best things I ever did, I when on my first ever interview, I worked for Fox. They wanted me to interview all these great people on Fox. The little what we call interstitials that. Four five minute pieces that used to run in between on rain days, and they mm. whack them in all the time as fillers. I interviewed George Foreman about how difficult it is to be a heavyweight champion of the world. His fist was the size of my two fists together. <laughs> Called all his daughters um, and sons George. <laughs> Why I don't know. But he, when he wanted his slippers, he yelled out George. So and and the biggest one I learnt was from Sir Michael Parkinson, yeah. and I interviewed him. I was, and I didn't do the work and and. He looked at me. We did the gig. It was at New South Wales Golf Club. We played a hole together mm. and did a couple of things and little shots. And I asked him a couple of pieces of interviewing presidents to um, Muhammad Ali when he was 18, when he was defeated, and, and then at the end of his life and all that mm. type of stuff. And, and he looked at me, and, and when we finished, he said, now, listen, the biggest thing when you want to do business with people and, and interview people, know more about them than they know about themselves. That's a very good point. That's all right for him. He's got fifteen researchers, right? With all due, but I'm by myself. But he mm. did. I'm starting at my caper. Do the reading, do the research um, mm. about him that should make the thing a little bit different. And I, and I think that's that. Don't you and I, without being big headed, we've become bloody good players over the years, and it's through hard work. And I'm not expecting my name just to know it to open the door. But if you don't have anything behind it, mm. I'll open the door. But if you don't have any knowledge about who you're about to speak to to do a yeah. business deal, well, you're gone. Yeah. And you, you can you imagine the people that we've met? And this is the great thing: I networking who we've met to reach people to get we what we want to do. And I think a lot of cricketers of today um, don't really think it through, particularly the young kids from, particularly in the subcontinent, etc., mm. and, and all that topic. Who are the business major heads of business and get to know who they are and, and what do they do and ask them, what's, what, what, how's, how's your business going? Well, what are you doing? What do you need? Um, oh, we need it. It's amazing how things. My left field solutions, believe it or not, supplied the paper for the passports for India for five years. We organised really? the Australian paper, yeah, Australian papers to, to, to provide the security papers for the Indian passports. We nearly got that. Stupidly, we went to NASIC. We nearly got the foreign currency for their foreign currency. We missed out by just a little bit Gosh. on the tender. Yeah, there's so much business out there mm. if you meet the right people to where you want to go and do and do the education, do your knowledge, just know more do about the work. it. Do the work. 
just because your name is Shane Watson or Dean Jones, don't expect it. It might open a door, yeah. But you've got to have some substance you, behind you. You've got to have something behind it. Yeah. Yeah, because if, if he goes down a tackle and you know nothing about what's going on, yeah. you're in a whole lot of trouble. So what you say there around lessons learned that you've had from, from general life mm. is about there's no shortcuts. It's no. all about you have to do the work. No. The, so and no the greatest- matter what, no matter what happens, whatever setbacks, I know I just got to get back up and do the work. Yeah. The greatest business mind I ever met was Kerry Packer. Okay. And the really only time, he's a beautiful man. And the only time, well, the times I met him, he was very mm. good for my family. Yeah. And when I knocked back to go away and take the $200,000 yeah, tax free, I could have bought a house in Turak with that money. <laughs> like, I'm it's not big, kidding. No, 200000 is a lot of money. Yeah. Like, I wasn't, what was earning my 20 grand. Yeah, yeah. That's a big decision. Massive dollars. And I said, no. Anyway, he was worried about all the players getting pinched by South Africa to mm. go away. And so he started to pay for some of the guys a little bit extra from the state, mm. PBL contracts or whatever they were. Mm. And I was just about to get married in 1986, and I needed to put a deposit down for my house. I had no money. Mm. So he offered me $15,000 for three years, so 45000 mm-hmm. I So I got Austin Robertson, who was my manager yeah. back then, and I said, Austin, I need to meet him. All right, I'll organise a meeting. So there he was. I was scared <laughs> as hell. I walked into his room, knocked up Mr. Packer. What the hell do you want? Oh, jeez. <laughs> nice start. So here we go. Uh, so look, so uh, thank you for the offer. Um, I, I'll definitely be taking it. Uh, no change in the contract or anything like mm-hmm. that. I just want to meet you in person. I, I don't, you know, you may offer me, I haven't seen you. Um, I want to shake your hand. Thank you. That's the way I do business. And uh, I've always done that. It's something I learned from my dad. Mm-hmm. Shake the hand solid, give, mm-hmm. look him in the eye. And then, uh, but sir, I, I'm going to ask a big favour. What? They say, well, I want three years in advance because I need to put a, a deposit on my house. I don't have enough money to pay a deposit. I'm getting married next month. Mm. Yeah, righto. Keep playing the way you are like it. Now, get out there. <laughs> get out there and, and speak to uh, so-and-so, the, uh, my lawyer at, at the front. And his other lawyer, his number two lawyer, was a past prime minister. You're struggling to find who it was? Couple of liberals back, so it got the place on the water in in, in um, Sydney. Oh, Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah, he was number two lawyer. <laughs> yeah, so I've gone out there and uh, Linton Taylor is his number one lawyer. So get Linton and get you can have the money. So thank you very much. So I got my hand on the door, just about to go out, and he said, "Hang on." Oh God! And I turned around. <laughs> he said. Now, listen, I want the second mortgage on your home just in case you do piss off to South Africa. Now, go. And I walked out. I'm not going. But how the smart thinking, just in wow. case, to save his yep. 45 grand, nothing yep. to do, but to think on his feet. So that's what he gets fun out of making decisions like that, and that's why he's, how can they stuff you up? Yep. What's your exit strategy? Yep. And uh, this guy, whoever bought my 30-odd years ago, I sold my house, did okay yep. out of it, but some guy's gone, Kerry Packer, <laughs> mortgage on this house? No, no, nah, nah, that's not him. Surely, it'll be on the mortgage on the yeah. on the on the title on the house. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, no, he he was Amazing. brilliant. And and but the key, the key to him was understand and don't assume that they know, because yeah. we had one game of golf at Capital, and Ricky Ponting said his handicap was two, and he was putting a little bit of money on on certain mm. things, and he said, "What's your what's your handicap, Ricky?" He said, it's two. Right, get me the phone. So got the phone. He said, what's your club? He said, Launceston. 
and rang up Launceston. Launceston, yeah, Kerry Packer here. Go to the, go in the men's dressing room. I look down. I want to know what Ricky Ponting handicap, please. Comes back. He said, uh, "It's two, Mister Packer. Right, you weren't lying." Next, that's the end of the group. But it's detail. not picking on Ricky. Yeah, no, it's just detail. But it's the attention, the yeah. detail for the for what he wanted to do. I no. thought, ah, yeah, don't assume mm-hmm. that what they're telling you is the truth. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm. That's so good, from then on, yeah, for any of the big, there's a mm. thing called Dunn Street reports, right? Okay. Dunn and Bradstreet. So you pay money for them to go and do the financial checks on opposition. Any company, I believe that any person's doing over a five thousand or ten thousand dollar deal, mm. do a Dunn, Street, Dunn and Bradstreet report on them, and it's nothing wrong with that. But mm. they go and check up if they're financially sound. If they're not sound, well, yeah. eight hundred dollars or a thousand bucks has just saved yeah. you. Yeah. So. And uh, and that's always been my policy to make sure that don't assume that they you think that they're okay, but because sometimes they're not, and, and just insurance oh, pays. Yeah, it's amazing insights. Um, in regards to if you had a chance for everything that you've been through, the experience you've had in your in your life up until now, if you could go back to your sixteen year old self and give that person one piece of advice about how to navigate your way through life, mm. what mm. would that be? Um, not you know, in a way, I, I I wouldn't say too much to him because you need to to get whacked on the nose a few times, and I did. Mm. I got whacked on the nose, got a bit brash or whatever like that, and you you get pushed back in your your box. You 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 know, like a a diamond, you know, it, it needs pressure, to, mm. you know, and you you just can't go through life and want an easy way, yeah. you know. I, I I as much as I don't want. Great teams. You you've played in great teams. You've had bad times, and those bad times you've got to turn them into good times. Mm. You know, and then you've got to start to believe. I think the greatest fun is when you actually know that I've got game here. <laughs> I know I can hurt him. Mm-hmm. We're going to put a put a show on him. Now that's the best fun as a player and as a coach. You know, you've got a team that going. Oh, hello. We can do a bit of magic here and sit back and have a fun. That's when it's really good fun. But I think so you make need- the most of when that comes together. Yeah, and appreciate it. Yeah, and enjoy it. Yeah, it doesn't always so. come together as well, does it? I hate I hate it in sport where we don't get an opportunity to say well done because in T Twenty cricket we've got another game on two days time. We don't totally know, agree. It's shocking. But and it happens in the T Twenty World Cups and, mm-hmm. and one day World Cups etc. Like that. And, and in a way, that's why we like to watch an in our uh, NRL Grand Final or an AFL Grand Final because there are people watching us. We like to celebrate like that. The bosses actually sit together and say, if we reach our budgets. We're going to celebrate and have a really good time. Exactly what, say, so-and-so did this year mm-hmm. with that football club did. And and they don't. They no. said they just give a little bonus, move on. They said actually get together and have a bit of fun because you're spending most of your time with each other. Why working, don't you, you're working your butt off. Yeah, go on. Put them on a cruise. Put them on a cruise around Sydney Harbour or, mm-hmm. or, or go, go out fishing or put on a nice knife for them having a good meal somewhere. Mm. Enjoy it. Because when it hits the hard time again, oh, he did this for us last year. He did this for us. And I was struggling a little bit. He paid me a month salary in, in, in advance because there's a few things going on in my life, a new baby and all that, whatever, mm-hmm. that I would do the work. I think you've got to treat them like you do and football and cricket coaches do. You know, The thing is with cricket, even through my experiences now because of schedule through the last sort of like – is after really 2007, really, mm. There was not much time to be able to celebrate when things went really well because it was on to the next thing. Like within a week normally, there was yeah. a next tournament you had to go to. So 2015 World Cup, the, 
like that was a moment what you said about the World Cup in '87 when you're walking around the ground. That for me at the MCG was like I wish I could pause that and just stay in that moment stay forever, forever, because it's yeah. just the most amazing feeling you can ever have. Within a week, I was on the plane to well, less than a week on the way to go to the IPL for the next big IPL tournament for Rajasthan. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, I've won the World Cup. This is the most ex- amazing experience of my life. But you know what? Now I've got to, I'll give myself a couple of days and I'll refocus. Mm. And it's like, you've got to actually have, I know it. Do, the, the schedule doesn't allow. I wouldn't, you know, I, I love the opportunities that we have now by playing so much and obviously mm. um, commercial, the commercial value of that. But I look back at the 2007 World Cup that I was so fortunate to be able to be involved in winning. There was four months off after that World Cup before the next tournament. Mm. And that was the time where, I was able to save it for at least a couple of months. And being in Sydney at that time as well, there was a few times where we met up as with like Glenn McGrath and Ricky Ponning and Brett Lee and those guys to be able to actually really enjoy the moment. Mm. But that was the last time where it was actually you could really embrace it. And that's sad. It is. It is. Because that's what you do, sad. all the hard work. Mm. That's what you make all the sacrifices for throughout your career to be mm. able to reach the pinnacle. And the pinnacle in a team sport is winning a big event, of course. And then because of the schedule and because of how things are, you don't get a chance to really enjoy it. Mm. So what you said there. And, and what you said there in business, for example, yeah, why doesn't that happen more often? It doesn't. And they've got to <laughs> celebrate the moment. If, got, if your team has reached budgets, <laughs> give them a slap on the back. Give mm. them a hug. Here we go. We're going to have some fun. Mm. And oh, oh, a bit of bubble out of work today. I'll get to work today. I'll do a little bit earlier. I'll start early and we'll, oh, I've got to do this. Oh, that's all right. I'll stay back in an extra 30 minutes. I'll do this. That, that's what life's like, all about, isn't that, it? It is. Mm. And, and, and what upsets me with the game of cricket that we are involved with after winning the World Cup in 1987, I notice you guys have won World Cups. You get, you get up on the board and they give you the medal and, and then you get the cup. And I'm thinking, we need to get a medal. So I send two emails off to Dave mm. Richardson, the ICC CEO, mm. and to James Sullivan. We never got medals. Is there any chance we can be remembered in some mm. way mm. or each of us get a medal? And sure enough, in night to what a, about two years ago, they, they, they did a um, look back and since 1996, no team's got a, um, no team got a medal before that. Before that. 92, it, really? 87, 83, no, no team's got medals. So what they've done and what we did, um, Cricket Australia got some money from ICC and they, they, they made these beautiful medals, and we got presented by the current Australian mm. team at the SCG, and it was magnificent. And you know what? It's the first time in 30 years that we got our team back together. How bad is that? How bad is that if we want to look after our heritage and our traditions of this great game? They talk about the tradition to ashes and all that, World Cups. They're not looking after that. They want to bring everyone back together. Get everyone back together, yeah. to, and this was what it's about. Yeah. but. They're the things that you you miss the most, and and uh, I've experienced as Lamabay. We win a tournament and went on the plane the next day. Next day yeah, and I want to be with the guys. I want to yeah. go to to the, to the town and be with them and see the the locals come out and cherish yeah. them and see this event grow and what mm. it means to them and all that type of stuff. But sadly, it's like on we're to too next. busy. On we're to too the busy. Next. Yeah. When's the next flight? Yeah. When's the next plane? Yeah. When's the next plane? This yeah. is what we do. Yeah. This is what we do. Sad reality. But in long run, I'll leave you with this. Um, Tony Barber used to be yeah. the, the, the host of right, The Price is Right, yeah. and he was the number one Victorian cricket um, um, member. Was he? Celeb member. He was early. Yeah, right. Yeah, in 1981, 1982. Yeah. I got my first century in, in first-class cricket. I made 199. I got run out. 
shut up. So I got a beautiful bottle of champagne the next day, and it was a message from him. If you make enough runs, money will look after itself. Mm. And I've still got the card at home. Yeah. Tony Bow. And that meant a lot. Yeah. If you do your job, money will look after itself. Don't do it for the money. Do it for the, what you love doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know it's, it's all rubbish and bullshit and all that. But No, but it's true. It's true. You play, you, what you're doing is from the heart. This is what, this is what I do. Fun yeah. of why I get out of fun now of coaching mm. is not necessarily winning titles. They're good fun, no doubt. But actually so helping a young kid maybe play for Pakistan or play for Australia or whatever. That's the ultimate. Isn't it? Yeah. To help a young kid say, thank you to help me get to, to actually push me through that wall of fire mm-hmm. that I thought I'm going to get burned on, that you'll be okay on the other side. You'll be okay. Back yourself. Go for it. Go. Don't back off because the other guys will rip you to bits. That's why they are now, these guys. So he said, oh, yeah, and you see some young kids. Now, lucky enough for Islamabad, we've had six guys in eight years out of the eight emerging players have gone on to play Pakistan within within those years, and I've had the best fun with that. It's been really cool. Well, helping any some of the young Australian guys give me a call occasionally, which happens. Yeah. And and I just, you're playing well. You don't need to change. No, I'm doing it. No. You don't need to change. Relax. Because always some guys are a little bit too over the top one out here, too much knowledge, and other yeah. guys need a little bit of a, hey, come on, we need to get yeah. you out of second gear here. So, yeah. But it's it's been a hell of a ride. And and now I'm making more money now than I ever have in my career, and, uh, and at the end of fifty, which is really cool. And now you've got a big role, mm. being the boss of the ACA and all that, to making sure that we look after our, the generation was in front of us. And I know 100%. the girls and the women and all that. And it's a, it, all you're doing is putting that event management. And as a coach, all you're doing is putting that spot fires. And as and as an event manager, the first question you ask is how much. And the next answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. just about it. Yeah. Mm. Okay, one last question. Mm. I love reading books and I love learning. Is there a couple of books that stand out for you that have really had a huge impact on, on your life? Very good question. Um, I think the best book that I could tell anyone to get is The Things I Don't Teach You at Harvard by Mark McCormick. Okay. Magnificent read. Magne- right. He started IMG, and every oh, okay. page, every two pages is a lesson. Goes into the next one, a lesson, the next one. And, uh, the, the, it's a brilliant book. Okay. Amazing, amazing right, That'll book. be your next download. Okay. <laughs> and the next one is Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. Uh, it's about making smarter decisions and when you don't have money and, and, and have all the facts. So it's one of the best books that have been read by right. all the NFL coaches and all that. Really? Yeah. So, okay. so there it okay, is. That's think, the next th- one to download. <laughs> think, thinking in bets by and, yeah. I, and okay. I, I'm halfway through it. It's just some yeah. wonderful stuff there. Um, okay. Um, so that was that, and probably um, the things they don't teach you the academy by Dean Jones. There's one there. There's a, <laughs> All right, is, good plug. Is, is like a good it. one. <laughs> so that's so that's sort of one there. If but you don't like your own book, well, uh, why write it? Well, why write it? Yeah, it's like Bo- like Morty. He didn't even read his own autobiography. He doesn't even. He hasn't even read a book. So, uh, but uh, oh, look, books are great. Books are great. I, I try and read as much as I can. Yeah, I knowledge, that. and that's why I actually knowledge is use, power. Yeah, that's why I like actually Twitter to a certain degree where. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly when you're with the proper major names and brands, that you can pick mm. up so much knowledge mm-hmm. straight away instantaneously on stuff that um, comes through. But they're two great books to read. Yep. Well, Dino, this has been super cool to have you on this episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. There have been so many amazing insights that we all can learn from for the future. 
Thank you so much for sharing all these experiences with me and with everyone who's going to listen to this. And we are all that much richer uh, for digging deeper into the mind of one of the greats of world cricket. Thank Thank you you. very much, Shane Watson. Absolute pleasure to be here. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.